I think we started out seven or eight weeks ago on a series preaching through the prophet Zechariah. And for most of those weeks, we've been going through some interesting, crazy stuff, right? The visions, the night visions of Zechariah. Seven, eight weeks ago, the first vision that we looked at was the vision of different colored horses galloping throughout the earth. It's a picture of, of God surveying the world behind the scenes. He's actively engaged at work seeking to bring peace to the nations. It was the first vision. The second vision, we saw these these skilled workers, these craftsmen move in to begin fixing all the problems that were going on in the world. After that vision, we saw the vision of the glory cloud, glory in the midst, which is God dwelling with His people. And I hope you've seen as we've studied Zechariah that that's one of the, one of the consistent themes of not only Zechariah, but the consistent theme throughout salvation history in the Bible is that God wants to be near His people. He wants to be present among us. And of course, if God is going to be present, then we move into the next vision, the next vision being where Joshua, the high priest, because he had soiled, dirty clothes, he needed to be robed in clean clothes. And we see God giving him righteousness. Satan no longer able to bring any accusation against God's people. After the righteousness of God, we saw the golden lampstands, the two olive trees, an unending supernatural supply of power that God provides His Spirit at work, not only in the world, but in the lives of His people. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the, the vision of the flying scroll, big billboard, with our brokenness on it, or to be more pointed, our sin. We can't hide from God was the message of that vision, and that God is at work promising to cleanse us from our sin and brokenness, deal with the evil in our hearts and in the world. And then last week, Hal preached on the horses again, but this time these horses had chariots, divine warriors, rapidly advancing to the four ends of the earth, finally God bringing victory and rest. You say it like this, our study in Zechariah, the prophet or God through the prophet wants to capture our heart's imagination so that we'll, we'll lift our eyes off of the ordinariness of life. And we can see what's going on behind the scenes. We can remember that God is working in unexpected ways. Zechariah is saying, hey, don't forget, God is at work. That's what He's all about. To rebuild, to restore, to renew all that is broken. So in accord with these visions, are you seeking peace? Are you seeking justice? Do you want to live and be in the presence of God? Do you want to be made right or righteous? Cleansing. Do you want evil to be judged? Are you in need of victory and rest? 
God is saying in this series thus far, I am at work. That's what I'm all about. And here now in the text that we're about to read this morning, we come back to earth. It's the harsh reality of the present. Or as as one of my favorite authors says, it's the malaise of ordinariness. Which is exactly why God gives to Zechariah the passage that we are about to read. In this passage that we're about to read, Zechariah, or God through Zechariah, is going to explain how all the meanings and the messages of the visions that we've read thus far, how they will unfold, or better yet, whom they will unfold through. All so that we can be encouraged, God's people can be encouraged, even as we wait expectantly for God to act and respond faithfully. So look, before we read this passage, it is an explanation of how and through whom God is going to bring about the meaning and the messages of these visions. So let me say it again. Are you seeking peace? Do you think justice is a good thing? Do you have a desire to live the way you were intended to live in the presence of the God who created us? Do you want to be made right? Do you want to be cleansed from all that's wrong? Do you want evil to be judged? Are you seeking victory and rest? Then God, in this passage that we're about to read, is going to explain how and through whom He is bringing it about today. So let's look at your bulletins, or you can turn in your Bibles. Zechariah chapter 6. Simply going to read verses 9 through 15. This is God's Word. The Word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall then be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helem, Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So this is the good news. This is the gospel according to Zechariah. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this is a hard book. This is a hard passage. And yet you promise that your spirit lives within us, your people, and that you will give us enough to understand, 
and you'll give us enough to be faithful. So grant us now to rely on your power and your faithfulness and remind us that there are only two things worth living for, even as we read this passage, as we think about its implications. Remind us that we're called to further your cause in the world and we're called to do good to the souls and bodies of the people around us. We ask your blessings now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's begin, because I know uh, some of you may be visiting. Um, Some of you may have been through all the series of Zechariah that we've been preaching through, but let me remind you where we are in the history of God's people here. Zechariah is a prophet to God's people, really nearing the end of the Old Testament age. It's about 400 years before, uh, maybe 500 years before Jesus comes. But the 400 years prior to that, there's no word from God. So God has already, in the, in the history of redemption, in the history of the Bible, in the history of salvation, God has already redeemed for himself a people. He set them apart. He'd given them the law. He'd given them the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, all the things that they needed so that they could live faithfully in relationship with him. But over and over again, they continued to move away from him. Over and over again, they seemed to want life apart from God. And just like God said, if if you want to live away from my presence, then you can live without me, which is ultimately seen in the sentence of exile to God's people, and that's what happened. 722 B.C., Assyria came. 586, Babylon came. And God's people were dispersed among the nations. But as always... God in His mercy comes back and brings His people back, even through a pagan king, and He says, build my temple because I want to be with you. That's where we are here in Zechariah. A remnant has returned. And they're building the temple. And God is preparing to meet them again. And here in our passage, we have these three guys, right? Heldai. Tobijah, and Jediah. We really don't know much about them. They're mentioned again in verse 14, if you'll look down there. Their names have been changed, or some of their names have been changed a little bit. Helam supposedly is a more dignified form of Heldai. And then there's Hen, son of Zephaniah. It's now used for Josiah by the way, who's part of a priestly family. And most of the commentators say that there's a link with the name Hen, which in the Hebrew means grace. There's a link with grace with what's going on in this passage. Grace is being poured out in this passage. Anyhow, this is what we know for sure. These men have come back from Babylon, from exile. They're returning. And they have silver and gold for the remnant community to help them out. Zechariah is told immediately to go to the house of Josiah because there's a sense of urgency here, and he's he's to make a crown. In the Hebrew, it's plural, crowns. 
probably meaning that he is to weave the gold and the silver together to make a multi-layered crown. What happens next would have surprised the people. Wouldn't it surprise the people that some exiles came back with gold and silver? But Zechariah is told to place the crown on the priest's head. And priests weren't supposed to wear crowns. Crowns were for the kings. If anybody should have received the crown, it would have been the governor, Zerubbabel. He's a kingly type, but he's not even mentioned in this passage. You see, Israel, God's people, had a long history of making sure that these offices, prophets, priests, and kings, they were kept separate. The king had certain responsibilities. The prophets had certain responsibilities. The priests did priestly work, and they were all supposed to hold each other accountable. So when God says to Zechariah, put the crown on the priest's head, I have to imagine that everybody's wondering what's going on. And this is what's going on. God is turning things upside down a little bit. See, that's the whole point. You see, all these visions that we've read about in the past few weeks, they were given to remind the people that in spite of the way things in the world seem to appear, in spite of the fact that they were very discouraged, in spite of the fact that they were struggling with ordinary life, God is saying you have to believe that God is for you, that I am for you, that I am at work for you. And just because it's not in the way that you expect it to work doesn't mean that God doesn't know what He's doing. In fact, Not only is God in control bringing peace, bringing justice, bringing righteousness and cleansing and rest, He's also going to do it in a way that won't make much sense to you. At least not in the way that we think of sense. Put the crown on the priest's head. Haven't you noticed that life rarely works out the way you've planned? As much as we like to be in control, we're really, we're really not in control, right? I mean, 20 years ago, you can ask my wife and my children, they never thought that they would see me in a pulpit preaching God's Word. Hal and Mary Beth didn't have plans to be in Greenville this weekend. What about some of you? See about some of you single folks, maybe you're 29, you're 30 years old. Did you think you might be married by now? What about you married folks? Did you ever think that you could ever make such a mess out of your marriage? Real life is hard, isn't it? Real life, it doesn't always go the way we plan it or the way we expect it. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you're, you're living in two different worlds. You know that God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. You know that you're totally accepted in Jesus Christ. He fully knows who you are with all your weaknesses, and you are fully loved. Yet, many days we don't feel that way, do we? We know that God has declared us righteous, and yet we so often continue to struggle with sin, brokenness. 
Where's the victory? Where's the power? You see, we are tempted to think that just because we don't know what we're doing, that means God doesn't know what He's doing. Or maybe we think we know what we're doing and God is the one that doesn't know what He's doing. Either way, nothing is further from the truth. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, and by by the way, I, I do... I hope, I don't want you to leave as a non-Christian, but we do desire non-Christians to come to worship because reality is real. So if you're a non-Christian here this morning, you're either working real hard to make things go the way you want, which is what you ought to do, or maybe you're pretending that things are better than they really are, Or maybe you've just given up. Or more likely, a combination of these, right? I was was in the uh, gym the other day, and I was talking to a gentleman. He he was 74 years old. I know, that's not old to some of you. uh, But me being 25, like I am, 70 years is old. But he's got to be one of the most fit men I've ever seen. I mean, I looked at the guy, and he shouldn't look that way. He told me that he is doing everything that he can to make sure that he doesn't die. So I thought to myself, he's working really hard, and he's pretending. Because one of the things that I did say to him is, you know you're going to die, right? See, God here, even as he says, put the crown on the priest's head, he's beginning to transcend the traditional order. And he's doing this to show us what's real and how reality works so that we Christian people can respond appropriately. See, Zechariah says you have to put the crown on Joshua's head, not because this is about Joshua at all. It's a symbolic event about what God is going to do. In fact, it's a symbolic event of what God has to do if if He's going to bring about peace and justice and righteousness and cleansing and rest. And the big point here is, it's not what we are expecting. And that's okay. In other words, I want to suggest to you that we should expect to be surprised if we are Christians. In fact, I would say it like this. We should expect not to have our expectations met. Because look what happens next. Look at verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear royal honor, and he will sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between them both, and the crown will be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder. Here's the point. The crowning of Joshua here in this present time 
is a symbolic promise of the crowning of the coming branch in the future. And it's a person, and he's described as a lowly little branch, even as a plant sprouts up out of the field. But this branch is going to emerge on the world scene, and he's going to do three things. He's going to build the temple. He's going to take on majesty and royal honor. And he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to rule in a restored kingdom. Zechariah is saying there will be a time in the future when all these types of people, when the the kings and the prophets and the priests, all these are going to be fused together into one to fix everything that seems to be messed up. Even the crown in this text is not to remain with Joshua. It was not his to possess because he's not the man. He's not the branch They were to move that crown into the temple so that they would be reminded that a royal ruler is going to come and he is going to build the temple. And I do. All the commentators pretty much say the same thing. The people are standing there and they're saying, what do you mean? They were saying things like, "I, I thought we were the ones to build the temple because that's what they were doing and that's exactly what they were supposed to be doing. But the whole point here is the temple is ultimately not about the building. It's about God being near them. God is saying to the people, wait expectantly, respond faithfully. Because what you see now, it's okay. But what you're going to see in the future is much better. What you're doing now, it's good. But what you're going to be doing later is much better because God is saying, I am coming in a way that you will not expect. What I'm planning to do, you can't even imagine. There's a branch. A branch is going to sprout up. He's going to rule and he's going to do something. And the whole point here, he's going to do something that you can't do yourself. Look what he's going to do, verse 15. Those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this will come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is our final point. Don't get too excited. It's a long point. The crown was a reminder of the coming branch. And if you've been in church... Any amount of time, we know this is a reference to Jesus Christ. And realize, many people were to miss him because he wasn't what they expected. Or or maybe he wasn't what they wanted. You see, they, like us, they got all caught up in the values and the methods of the world, the ordinariness of life, the muck of trying to live life faithfully rather than being reminded that God works in vastly different ways than they ever could imagine. See, Zechariah is saying to God's people, lift up your eyes, grab hold of his promise, here represented by the crown, and expect God to come and meet their every need. Wait expectantly, respond faithfully, and expect God to come and meet your every need. Look at verse 15, where where it says, And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the Lord. Realize, 
It doesn't mean that if they didn't obey God that they could thwart God's promises. It doesn't mean that if they didn't follow God that they would frustrate God's plan. What it meant was if they trusted God, then they would be able to participate in the blessings of God's work in the world, and they would enjoy that work in the context of something much bigger than they ever could imagine. Did you hear that? Do do, do you want to participate in the blessings of God's work in your own life and in the world? And do you want to enjoy that in the context of of something much bigger than yourself. You see, God's people in in Zechariah's day, they were called to wait expectantly, to respond in faith to God's promise of this guy referred to as the branch. Now look, they knew something about the branch. Jeremiah mentions the branch. Isaiah mentions the branch. They knew something about the branch. But don't... Don't don't fool yourself into thinking that they knew exactly what God was talking about because they didn't. All the commentators say that, that God is speaking purposefully vague here. Do you know why he's purposely vague? Because if God told the people in Zechariah's day everything that they thought they needed to know, they wouldn't be able to handle it. I mean, think about this. If God would have come down, and I don't know how this would have worked because you see all the references in the Old Testament, but say he comes down behind a curtain like the Wizard of Oz. And he says to the people of Zechariah's day, hey guys, just wait for this. Just trust me. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to be born of a woman, born a man. I'm going to come and live perfectly, and then I'm going to die on your cross. You know what most of those people would have done? They would have walked away. If God was too specific, they never would have understood. They wouldn't have been able to handle it. So God, in his kindness, he gives them just what they need to be faithful. And faithfulness back then for God's people, they literally had to build a building. But it wasn't about the building. It was about being in God's presence, working in God's world. And and what I want you to see right here, right now is, don't you understand that we have it so much better now. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't want to live back in 520 BC moving blocks of stones. The branch has come and he's gathering a people to help build, and we are either a part of that process or we're not. We're, we're called to the same thing today that the people in Zechariah's time were called to. We're called to wait expectantly, but not for some vague idea of a Messiah or a branch. We are waiting expectantly for Jesus Christ, the God-man, to come back already knowing that he's come once in the flesh. And Paul could say the same thing to us as he did to the Galatians. It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The Galatians didn't see Jesus crucified. They just heard about it just like us. Christ has come. He has died. He was resurrected. He has ascended. And by His Spirit, Christ dwells in us. And we are now the temple that is being built. 
We don't have to build temples anymore. We are the temple, and God is building us. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, he's talking to Christians, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What does it mean to, to offer up spiritual sacrifices? What does it mean to be built together? Our lives are the spiritual sacrifices if we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God resides in us. And those lives are marked by self-denial, giving ourselves up for the benefit of other people so that they can see God dwelling in us through His Spirit. We're called to work in His kingdom that Jesus Christ has begun. We no longer have to live for ourselves because, because God has come. Because God dwells in us through His Spirit, which gives us the power to look beyond ourselves in the midst of the ordinary life that we live in to serve other people, to help in the building process. I, I hope you can see that if this is true for you and for me, it should transform everything. Our marriages. If we understand that God's Spirit is dwelling in us and we are the temple of God and we're here to serve other people, our marriages can now be about our spouses and not about ourselves. We can seek to serve their well-being instead of our own. Our friendships, we don't have to have friends anymore because we need to have friends, but we can be friends to other people because we now have something to offer them other than ourselves, which really ain't, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Our work, are, are you building your own kingdom or are you serving others even as you provide for your family? We talk about spheres of influences here at Redeemer. Do, do you talk to people about what God is doing in your life? Oh, is He doing anything in your life? I meet with a lot of people because I'm a pastor, and I meet with a lot of people who say they know Jesus. And look, this isn't in with anybody I met with in the last month, so don't worry about that. But they tell me that Jesus Christ, they know who Jesus Christ is. They know that they've been saved. They know that they have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. And yet their lives are marked by themselves. They're caught up in the world. They're living by the world's standards and priorities. They're living by the world's expectation, seeking their own satisfaction, making life all about themselves, which does beg the question, do they really have Jesus or, they, or they, do they just know about him? You see, the people in Zechariah's day were called in the midst of ordinary life, hard life, 
to wait and respond to God's promise to come and dwell with His people. And for us today, God has come. And because of that, we have so much. I mean, we read it in the New Testament reading. The law is now written in our hearts and in our minds and our sins are forgiven. Uh, Let me spend just a minute, two minutes. How, How do you know if this is taking place in your life? How do you know, how do you wait expectantly and respond faithfully? I mean, we're doing the same thing to people in Zechariah's day. We just have it better because Jesus has come and we're just waiting for him to come back. And while we're waiting for him to come back, because he's already come once, we need to live faithfully, right? There's a way in which you can determine if, if we're doing this. Because waiting... Waiting is nothing more than whatever it is you're hoping in, right? What are you hoping in? If you're truly hoping expectantly in Christ Jesus, we will always, not always, our marks will be, our lives will be marked with responding faithfully if you are hoping expectantly, right? So if you're waiting expectantly for God to return in Christ Jesus, we will be responding faithfully to God by intentionally serving other people in the world because these two things always go together. You will always respond to what it is you most hope for. You with me? If we're truly hoping expectantly in Christ Jesus, then we are looking to God for everything and anything. It is a settled confidence that God will provide your every necessary need. See, we hope in whatever it is we're trusting in to deliver, to deliver whatever it is we want. And a breakdown here occurs when, number one, we either go to something other than God to deliver something we think we need, or number two, we don't understand what we already have from God in Christ. Either way, we will not respond faithfully. We'll end up bending back into ourselves rather than focusing outward on God and other people. I'm going to say that again because i got time. If you're hoping expectantly in Jesus Christ... You will respond faithfully. And when those two things don't go together, it means we've either gone to something other than God to deliver something that we think we need, or we don't understand what we already have from God in Christ. And either way, we will not respond faithfully because we'll end up being bent backwards on ourselves, seeking to get what it is we think we need rather than serving other people. So do you want to participate in the blessings of God's work in your own life and the world? Do you want to? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourselves? The only one that can deliver is God, and God has delivered everything that you need if you are a Christian here this morning. Jesus Christ, let's put it all together. Jesus Christ has has come and made peace. That's vision one. 
Jesus Christ is the craftsman who is putting things back together. That's vision two. Jesus Christ is God with us. That's vision three. Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness. He's poured his spirit into our lives. We have tasted of his victory and we can rest in his work. What else do you need? Even when it feels like you need more, the truth of the matter is you don't. The branches come. So I challenge you as I challenge myself this morning to wait expectantly and respond faithfully because in Christ Jesus, we are the visible manifestation of God's work and service in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we can rejoice in the fact that you have sent your son to live and to die for us and that even now he is sitting at your right hand, ruling and reigning. Yes, not in the way that we fully need, not in the way that we even want, but we do know that there will be a time when he will return and all things will be fully experienced. In that that time between, dear God, I ask that we would wait expectantly, that we would respond faithfully by working in your kingdom, by furthering your cause in the world, and Father, by doing good to other people for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.